not be humble. It is God's church. Amen. God's church. And, and, um, yeah, this is, this is so tremendously exciting for me. Uh, as the time was building up and I knew I was coming to the Shepherds Conference and that's a great time. And, and, uh, and then I knew I would be coming here. I didn't know what was exciting me more, the conference and all the great preaching and teaching or just coming here to be with you, my family. And so I think this is uh, probably weighing out, you know, this is, this is, it's pretty great. And, uh, yes, things in Weaverville, um, they all greet you there from the First Baptist Church, uh, um, of Weaverville. It's up in the northwest, uh, corner of California. It's about an hour west of Redding in the Trinity Alps wilderness. It's a beautiful place. It's a neat place. The church just opened armed us when we came in there and the town has done the same. And it has been just a tremendous blessing. And ministry-wise, it's been really neat because God has just allowed a lot of different things to happen in a short amount of time. When we got there, there was virtually no men's ministry, um, nothing going on there. And so we've since got a men's Bible study going. And we do, you know, I'm just replicating Calvary. We do our monthly men's breakfast um, with different speakers. Um, I think one of the most exciting things that happened was that our deacons, who are functioning like elders, I have to say that, um, <clears throat> our deacons said to me, we'd like to do something for Sunday evening, um, we've done a service in the past, you know, and it kind of gets, people are excited in the beginning, but then it kind of fizzles out because it's just kind of a rehashing of Sunday morning. And what do you think? And I said, you know, where I come from, we did this thing, it was like a Sunday night study. And um, I told them about it and they thought, hmm, that sounds interesting. We don't know how it's going to work. And so we set everything up and set the tables up. And I kept telling the congregation, you know, bring your treats and your snacks and your Starbucks and all this, and we'll just have a relaxed time of teaching and you can ask questions. And, and, um, and we did that. And I had our secretary make up 25 packets, you know, as we're doing basic Bible doctrines. And um, for a church of 100 people, 50 people showed up that night. And the deacons were shaking their heads. They couldn't believe it. And everybody was so excited. And, and we've, we've settled into a comfortable group of about 30. But 30 consistent people out of 100, week in and week out, to just learn the word was so exciting to us. And it really taught us that there is a hunger for the word here. So with that, I could go on, but I thought I'd show you a few slides briefly so you can kind of see a few things. This is Weaverville um, from the from the air. Um, it's right on Highway 299. There's the airport up there at the top, and we live just about, oh, a foot over from the airport. <laughs> and our church is up on, right on the middle of this side of the picture. You see some big stacks. It's logs. It's a lumber mill, and our church is right in front of that lumber mill. You can go ahead and go to the next. In um, Weaverville, everybody has to have a 4 by 4 So we were no exceptions. So we got our four-wheel drive so we could actually get out of our driveway in the snow in the winter. And the kids are learning. Now, you see the happy faces there. That didn't last long. That was, that was the first truckload of our wood. It is the land of Bigfoot. I think that famous Zagruder film, whatever it is, a Bigfoot comes from <laughs> this area. And it's also the land of big trees. We have the redwoods right over there on the coast. It is the land of big snow. That's our front yard, um, complete with our dog. It's the land of big anvil blasting. Fourth uh, of July, it's a tradition in Weaverville to take two anvils starting at 6 a.m. and proceeding likewise every 15 minutes to put gunpowder in between them and blast the one off the other. So that's what we woke up to that morning, as well as Brock Boldy and the Boldy gang back there in the background. In deer season, the deer come into the city limits because they know they're safe. And that's our church. <laughs> our family camp, you get to come to family camp and do things like kayaking. There's Julie shooting the rapids. And this is for my friends like Jack and Lou and Roger. <laughs> this is ministry, by the way. This is the men's Bible study, okay? <laughs> this is our family camp on the Trinity River where I got to perform my first baptism on the Trinity River, complete with salmon jumping in the background. That was pretty special time. Yes, now this was thrown in. And um, I'm up in uh, the offices, Don Chernock showing me around all the new stuff. And I said, why is there a pair of waiters by Alvin's desk? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> Here's the church from the air. The front building is the original sanctuary. It's uh, done in the 50s. Then the next building is where we have our worship center now. Um, and then that's our building project. So I got to leave one and go to another. But this one's almost done. <laughs> And there's the outside of the church. This was uh, back at, during my installation time. Here's some of uh, the folks up there worshiping and singing. And at my installation, 
Dr. Jack made a special appearance and just uh, hammered away at the folks. And of course, at every good Baptist uh, function, there has to be food. Now we have some visitors too that come to see us, and this is my promo part of it. You guys are all welcome. Not at the same time, but you're all welcome. (laughs) The Perez family came and saw us. And we had Brock Boldy there chowing down on some pie and ice cream. We also have uh, Don Chernock Alvin and my friend Dan from church there in the Trinity. We also have Judy picking blackberries down by the creek that runs alongside of our house. And we have Art watch, oh, Art sleeping while Judy picks. (laughs) (laughs) And we have Hannah and Shelby there at our family camp. And we got Daniel Carnes with Jack complete with uh, blueberry blood all over their faces. And uh, there's the Trinity Alps Wilderness. That's about, oh, you know, 10 minutes from our house. So there you go. That's Weaverville. (laughs) Uh, This morning, my sermon is called, How Not to Walk in Christ. How Not to Walk in Christ. Jim Jones' uh, story began on November 18, 1978. James Warren Jones, originally an ordained minister with the mainstream Protestant denomination, Disciples of Christ, then founder of the church known as the People's Temple, convinced over 900 people, including 276 children, to commit mass murder-suicide by drinking a Kool-Aid-like drink laced with cyanide. This took place in Jones's self-built community in Guyana known as Jonestown. The People's Temple was originally founded in Indianapolis during the 1960s as a church that was distinctive for its equal treatment of African Americans. It would eventually move to Guyana where Jones came under, when Jones came under investigation for tax evasion. Prior to this move, Jones authored a booklet called The Letter Killeth, pointing out what he felt were the contradictions, the absurdities, and atrocities in the Bible, but also stating that the Bible contained great truths. He was particularly fascinated with his ability to manipulate people. Jones perfected his craft and was very skilled in his newfound talent. He claimed to be an incarnation of Jesus, Akhenaten, which was a pharaoh from 1300 B.C., Buddha, Lenin, and Father Divine from the International Peace uh, Missions Movement of the 60s. He also performed supposed miracle healings to attract new converts. Members of Jones's church called him father and believed their movement was the solution to the problems of society. Many did not distinguish Jones from the movement. The church gradually moved away from Main Street, mainstream Protestant Christianity. In Guyana, Jonestown was designed as an isolated, agricultural, socially interactive community promoting peace among different races. However, when Congressman Leo Ryan paid a visit with a small entourage of media news people to investigate allegations of human rights abuse, Jones showed his true colors. Ryan and company fled Jonestown after an assassination attempt on his life. Jones had armed guards pursue Ryan and the rest of the group to the airstrip, where five of them, including Ryan, were shot and killed. It was later on that day when the mass suicide, or in many people's minds, murder, took place as some people were found dead, not just from a cyanide-laced drink, but also by gunshot wounds and injected cyanide. There was no video taken, but the FBI recovered a 45-minute audio recording of the suicide murder in which Jones can be heard saying, Do not be afraid to die. Death is your friend. Don't fear the reaper. Jones himself was found dead sitting in a deck chair with a gunshot wound to the head. It is known, it is unknown if he had been murdered or committed suicide. An autopsy of his body shows levels of the barbiturate phenobarbital, which would have been lethal to humans who had not developed a physiological tolerance. His drug usage, including various LSD and marijuana experimentations, was confirmed by his son Stephen and Jones's doctor in San Francisco. This is one extreme example of a situation where people were fed false ideologies, false doctrines, perverted doctrines, and out-and-out lies all packaged up in an appealing religious wrapping. But of course, in this case, it was a situation that had disastrous results. And the worst of these disastrous results is not even the fact that over 900 people, including children, were convinced to kill themselves or were murdered, but that in the process, they were not given the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
but were instead led on the most destructive path, the one to hell because of Jim Jones's damning doctrines. This is an example of people being taken captive by a false religion, a religion that seemingly had Christ even mixed in within, interwoven, but certainly a very aberrant and false view of Christ. And this is what we're going to see in our text today of Colossians chapter 2, verse 8. If you would, go ahead and turn there. Colossians 2, verse 8. And we're going to see a warning from the Apostle Paul to stay away from false heretical teachings, teachings that could cause one to stray from Christ or in some cases keep people from Christ and the true gospel message. And while you're turning there, I'll just give you a little bit of background here. What was going on with the church of Colossae? The the church was primarily made up of Gentile converts, but there were also some Jewish converts as well. And there was this, this false teaching that had started to creep into the church. A man named um, um, Epaphras uh, basically founded the church, but then when he saw these false teachings kind of knocking at the door, he went to Paul personally, um, Paul was in a Roman jail, to talk to Paul to ask him for help, advice, wisdom, counsel on what he should do. And Paul then wrote back this letter to the Colossian church, which addressed what we kind of have come to call the Colossian heresy, if you will. Now, some to, there's some dispute if the, if the heresy, this false teaching was already in the church or if it was kind of on the outskirts of the church or what. But the fact is, is it was prevalent at the church nonetheless and enough so that it warranted Epaphras to go on this trip to talk to Paul. Now, Paul doesn't explicitly say what the heresy is, but he gives us lots of clues based on what he says in the letter and and his wording and what he talks about as to what these heresies, these false teachings that were going on in the church were. And it seems to be a combination of things. Um, One of the things that that comes out is is possibly that it had some people that were involved with Gnosticism, which if you've heard here before, uh, Gnosticism means knowledge. And the Gnostics held the belief that that... Um, God is good, but all matter, including human beings, are evil. And so the Jesus really is not God, but he is rather an, an emanation. He kind of is this thing that flows out of God, like God, but not quite God, less than God. And in that they deny Jesus' true humanity because that would then make him evil if he was completely human. But they also deny that he was truly God uh, because they didn't buy that either. They would have said that that was blasphemous. Uh, Gnosticism also believed that there was a secret or higher knowledge that one had to attain to to get to uh, spiritual enlightenment, heaven, salvation. Now we see Paul go head to head with this Gnostic view of Jesus in the way that he establishes and portrays Christ in the early chapters. He spends much time in the first two chapters basically presenting the doctrine of Jesus. And we're not going to go there. You can go to Sunday night study here with Pastor Jack and study the doctrine of Jesus. Now, this heresy also had elements of Jewish legalism in it, things like circumcision, adherence to ceremonial laws and dietary commands and festivals and Sabbaths and other fleshly laws that these false teachers were saying that you had to do. And it also, um, they advocated the worship of angels and uh, having other mystical kinds of experiences. So Paul's purpose in writing this letter to the Colossians, we might say, was threefold. He was there to combat the false teachers. He wanted to encourage the believers that were there that they've been on the right track and they're doing the right thing. He talks about that in the beginning. They they are believers who have heard the gospel and are living out Christ. And he also wanted to focus on the believers union with Christ and and what that looks like on a practical day to day basis. Now, leading up to this text that we're looking at today, um, Paul has spent, like I said, a large uh, part of his time teaching on Christ and who Jesus was. He talks about the fact that um, that Christ uh, rescued people from darkness and put them into the kingdom of his son. In 113, we see that he was the redeemer in 114. He was the image of invisible God and the firstborn over all creation. He is the sovereign Lord of all. The fullness of deity dwells in him, meaning he is God. Reconciler between all things and God. He is the justifier. He says that Christ is in you, the hope of glory. And in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So now if you will pick up with me, uh, we're going to start in, in 2.4. 
And just follow along as I read, kind of building up to verse 8. Paul writes this in Colossians 2, 4. I say this so that no one will delude you with persuasive argument. For even though I am absent in body, nevertheless, I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good discipline and the stability of your faith in Christ. Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Now, for the Colossians, this this meant he was saying, continue uh, believing in the truth about Christ. Um, don't let your true understanding of Christ waver in any way, especially in light of what is going on by way of this false teaching, these empty traditions of men that we are going to be looking at further today. And then in verse 7, Paul, he talks about what I I call four walking sticks, if you will. They're helps, encouragements um, that the believers have in order to help them along in their walk. They're the fact that believers are firmly rooted in Christ. They are being built up in Christ. They are established in their faith. And because of all this, they are overflowing with gratitude. And it's these things that help the Colossians continue to walk in Christ and reject everything that was false and unbiblical um, that were trying to infiltrate the church. So today we are going to look more specifically at the problems the Colossian church faced by way of these deceptions. And through our text, you will see two ways how not to walk in Christ. So if you will, look at at verse 8 there. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. So in other words, if you wanted to reject biblical teaching, you wanted to reject Jesus and his gospel message of salvation, if you wanted to reject his lordship over your life, then you would want to do the following things that our text talks about. You would want to adhere to worldly man-centered philosophies, and you would want to believe in worldly man-centered lies. Now, just to clarify, Paul is, is talking about two problems here, that of philosophy and empty deception. And then both are further defined by Paul with these descriptive phrases we just read, where he says, according to the traditions of men, according to the elementary principles of the world. And then all of this is contrasted with um, this last statement, rather than according to Christ. So we know that right off the bat, whatever these philosophies, these these empty deceptions are, they are not a part of Christ or his word. So what we're going to do is we're going to kind of work backwards. OK, we're going to work backwards and then kind of jump to the uh, to the forefront there. And let's look at this phrase in verse eight, according to the tradition of men. Now. Schools of philosophy, both then in biblical times and now, they pass things on. They pass things on from teacher to pupil, from man to man, from person to person. And saying that, you might think, well, yeah, and isn't that what you're doing here right now? You're passing on person to person? Well, but the difference is that myself or any other teacher of the Bible should not be teaching our own personal views or ideas or philosophies, but only that which come from the word of God. Right now I'm preaching to you. I'm not some self-help guru trying to persuade you with my own brand of ideas or morality. I'm not telling you my personal thoughts on how I think you can get to heaven or how you might have a great life. I am telling you what God is saying from his word that you need to know pertaining to life and godliness faith and practice. And that's the difference. Paul also recognized the value that people placed on tradition and how hard it is for people to give up traditions, even if it means at the expense of truth. The Catholic Church is a good example of a case where traditions of the church are placed on an even par with Scripture and even at times above Scripture, be it because of their worship of Mary or or the Pope having the final authority, the final say over the Bible. You know, if somebody said, um, you know, we always have an altar call at the end of each service or we only sing hymns at our church or in the case of First Baptist Church of Weaverville, we always eat every time we get together. <laughs> it's true. I will not go hungry up there. <laughs> somebody might ask, well, why? And the answer would come back. Well, tradition. We've just always done it that way. 
We get tied to our traditions, don't we? And you know what? Traditions are not a bad thing. They're not a bad thing as long as they never replace or supersede the word of God. Then they're a bad thing. And here Paul is talking about philosophies and empty deceptions that are traditions of men passed on to others. Consider what Jesus said to the Pharisees in Mark 7, 8. Neglecting the commandment of God, you hold to the tradition of men. So don't trust something just because someone has said it's always been this way. This is tradition. In this case, Paul is contrasting the tradition of men with that of Christ. So will you follow men and their traditions or will you follow Christ and the tradition of the gospel? Now, what what do we make of this, this next phrase? According to the elementary principles of the world. There's a couple of possibilities for this, this Greek word stoichia, which, which represents elementary principles. And, and, and one understanding of it is that it can be translated as elemental spirits. So some here believe that it is referring to demons or evil spirits as understood later on in, in chapter two, verse 15, when Paul's talking about rulers and authorities. And then again in Ephesians six twelve, when he says the rulers and powers and world forces of darkness, spiritual forces of wickedness. And then some also believe that is just referring to the teachings of men, basic worldly principles. Now, what's interesting is we see the same phrase mentioned just a little bit later here in Colossians 2 um, and verse 20, where Paul says, if you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, why as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch? which all refer to things destined to perish with use in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. So I would put to you that the context here indicates that the elementary principles of the world have to do with the commandments and teachings of men. So in verse 8, Paul is referring first to the tradition of men and then the commandments and the teachings of men. We should also be reminded that the God of this world is Satan. And his demons, and it is entirely possible and even probable that many of these traditions and commands and teachings of men have been influenced by Satan and his demons. In any case, as one theologian writes, what these heretics were offering was not an advance in godly spiritual knowledge, but a retreat to spiritual infancy and demonic doctrine. The traditions of men and the elementary principles of the world, we could See these summed up in 1 Corinthians three eighteen to 23 when Paul writes, Let no man deceive himself. If any man among you thinks that he is wise in this age, he must become foolish so that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness before God. For it is written, he is the one who catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the reasonings of the wise, that they are useless. So then let no one boast in men. Well, now we can go back to the beginning. So we're going to jump up to the front of verse 8 here, where we see right at the beginning where Paul writes, see to it. Now stop right there. See to it. Better translated possibly in the King James, the new King James as beware, be on guard. It's a strong warning from Paul. Pay attention to my warning. Be looking out for these things because they are dangerous. How many times do we blow off warnings? whether it's children blowing off their parents' warnings or, um, you know, my son got a little wind-up plane uh, the other day. Actually, it's a remote control thing. And I said, son, we need to wait. We need to wait until we have a big open space. No, dad, no, dad, I want to do it. I want to do it. Son, the thing's going to break or it's going to get caught in the tree. Okay, no, fine, fine, fine. Tree. Kunk. We uh, have, you know, a lot of snow up where we live, and certainly we have the mountains here, and uh, people like to snowboard and snow ski, and um, on Mount Shasta, they like to go and, and snowboard on Mount Shasta. And of course, one of the popular things with uh, many who snowboard is to get off the beaten path, right, to, to find those, those pristine trails in the middle of the forest where nobody's been. But what do they have to do to get to those trails? They have to go by a sign that says, beware! avalanche. And then what happens? They go, they do it, avalanche, they die. We're constantly told to beware of things and yet we blow them off. Paul is saying, beware. Beware what, Paul? Right there in verse 8, that no one takes you captive. 
Paul has in mind somebody who uh, has been in a war, somebody who's been captured and carried off, uh, um, like a POW, and, and even in the sense of being brainwashed. They've been carried away from the truth into the slavery of error. So this leads us to the first way for you not to walk in Christ, if that was your desire, which really means to reject Christ. And that is to, number one, adhere to worldly man-centered philosophies. Adhere to worldly man-centered philosophies. Verse 8 again, um, that no one takes you captive through philosophy. And then we could add on those two phrases that we already talked about, according to the tradition of man, according to the elementary principles of the world. So what does Paul mean when he says philosophy? Well, this, this word philosophy comes from uh, two Greek words, um, phileo, which a lot of us are familiar with, to love and sophia, wisdom. And it's interesting because this word, it's only found once in the New Testament, and that's right here in Colossians. And really it means the love and pursuit of wisdom. Well, who doesn't, you know, you might think, oh, I'm not a philosopher, I don't really care about philosophy, but do you love and pursue wisdom? Well, if you do, then you're a philosopher. So there you go. We're all philosophers. In our text here, it carries, unfortunately, a a negative connotation in that it refers to false wisdom, quasi-religious doctrines and speculations, all of which are irreconcilable with the Christian faith. They don't mix. They're like oil and water. And for the Greeks of Romans of Paul's day, philosophy is the pursuit of wisdom. It was a way of life. It, it, it became people's religions for them. And Paul dealt with this firsthand when he confronted the different philosophers in Athens in the classic sermon uh, on Mars Hill, if you were to go back and read that. So everybody, past or present, Christian or otherwise, we might say are philosophers to some degree. Paul even wrote in 1 Corinthians one twenty two, for indeed... Excuse me, Jews ask for signs and Greeks search for wisdom. We all pursue questions like, you know, who are we? Who am I? Where did I come from? What am I doing here? Where am I going? And worldly philosophies try to answer these questions. But worldly philosophies will do it ultimately with empty results. Now, there were many different schools of philosophy in Paul's day, each with different beliefs and practices, including their own way of life, based on different moral and spiritual beliefs, again, all in the pursuit of wisdom and knowledge. There were different schools of philosophy that provided a worldview and practical guidance for life that religion does for many today. And some of the schools of philosophy back then were based on the likes of Socrates and Plato and Aristotle but all have either denied the existence of God or have held an unbiblical view of God. It's interesting because these schools, they also had their own brand of holy men. Um, they might call them holy men or saints. And, and you know, people back then, they didn't usually go to the priest for advice or um, in this case, the priest of maybe the local cult for a better understanding of the world that they lived in or moral advice, things along those lines. But rather, they would go to a philosopher Um, in seeking answers to their questions. Philosophy was used to teach people how to live. Philosophers seemed to provide a sort of conscience for the age and offered even moral instruction. Now, some even saw philosophy as something that they could use to bring a kind of even conversion or cleansing to the soul. Although it was a redemption, we say that in quotes, done by one's own strength, certainly not by the strength of Christ and the power of the cross. Philosophy did seem to, um, at times, point people towards a single God, but it was usually a very generalized and, and impersonal God. And there were also different religious groups that wanted to convince people that they were imparting some kind of philosophy. Um, even those who practiced magic called themselves philosophers as they, they tried to capture the allegiance of men through their rites and initiations and spells. And we saw and see ungodly, unbiblical philosophies continue on through the ages. Through the different centuries and, you know, people like um, Nietzsche um, and, and uh, Sartre who just uh, had some really bizarre beliefs. Nietzsche claiming that God is dead and, and Sartre um, 
the kind of father of existentialism and, and um, just uh, some really crazy uh, stuff. Sartre's belief is that man's existence is utterly meaningless and that there is no sufficient reason why man or the universe exists. So now what did Paul have in mind, though? What did he have in mind when he warned the Colossian church and, and subsequently us sitting here today not to be taken captive through philosophy? Well, based on, on what we see in the book of Colossians and the way that Paul confronts the, the false teachers here, there were many interesting philosophies, including things like what we've already talked about, the Gnosticism and the legalism going on and, and, um, uh, Paul spends so much time explaining the deity and supremacy and lordship of Christ. And he makes the point that it's Christ and Christ alone that saves and redeems and transforms. And and we can imagine that some of the problems of these false teachings and philosophies centered around these themes. And the fact that they did not believe in Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life. In other words, what they were teaching was that Jesus was neither God nor the source of all truth, which is an obvious attack on the deity of Christ, Christ being God and the sufficiency of Christ. And these were damning doctrines. And that's why Paul was so gung-ho about it. And he, he confronts these kinds of things in other places in Scripture, like 1 Timothy 4.1, where he says, But the Spirit explicitly says that in later times some will fall away from the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Now, before we consider the implications for us today, let's just consider the second point of this message, because the two are closely related. And, and then we'll go back and we'll look at what the application is of both of them for us here in 2008. So our second point, for those of you who might want to reject Christ and not walk in him, then you should also believe in worldly man-centered lies. Believe in worldly man-centered lies. Look back at verse 8. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deception. Now, I imagine that just about everybody here has at one time or other received a letter in the mail that on the outset, it looks really important. You know, they've gotten really good where it's not just, you know, a computer typed out thing. But I remember the first time I got a letter that looked like something was handwritten. And then you get 10 of those. And then you start looking at it a little bit closer and you realize, no, that's a computer. But when you see something handwritten, you think, oh, this is important. And and you open it up or maybe it looks like, you know, it looks something like something legal. And maybe it's from the IRS. And, they're, you know, they realize they I have to pay back some money or something. And, and, and you rip it open and it says, congratulations, you've been qualified to, you know, buy a house for $500,000 that you can't afford to get. But we're going to give you the money, whatever it is. And you throw it in the trash. Or uh, lately, I've been getting these things on the Internet, on, on my email, where, uh, you know, PayPal or something, or a group claiming to be PayPal or some other Internet company will, will give you an Internet thing that looks official, and it sounds official, and uh, something is wrong with your account, and people are accessing it, and you need to click on this button and respond right away so we can get your updated information. And I'm like, ah! Well, luckily, I have a wife who is computer savvy, unlike myself, um, we're still working on the typing thing. And uh, um, I can email it back to my wife and she says, don't open it. Just discard them, delete them, you know, whatever. But don't open it because they are deceptive. And that's what's going on here. Paul is referring to philosophies and other teachings of men and even Satan that are hollow shams. They have no true content, things that are seductive and misleading the Bible speaks to things that are seductive in their deceptions and yet empty. Things like wealth in Mark 4.19 when Jesus says, But the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Or in Hebrews 3.13, the deceitfulness of sin. But encourage one another day after day as long as it is still called today so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. There's wicked deceit in 2 Thessalonians 2.10. And with all the deception of wickedness for those who perish because they did not receive the love of the truth so as to be saved. And there's deceptive desires. Ephesians 4.22 That in reference to your former manner of life, you lay aside the old self, which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. 
You know, ultimately, we could define these these empty deceptions uh, as any belief or system of belief that is contrary to the word of God. So how do these worldly, man-centered philosophies, these these worldly, man-centered lies translate to us here today, 2008? Oh, in many, many ways. I'm sure you're already probably thinking of some in your minds. There are many things that try and rival Christ for our loyalty, is there not? There are especially things with conflicting principles, Things like money or power or religions or organizations or even people in their own beliefs that either deny Christ or treat Christ as something less than what the Bible teaches us about him. And of course, the Colossians had their own brand of heresy that they had to be on guard for and they had to reject. And there is also much in the world today that you need to be on guard for. That you need to reject by way of false philosophies and ideologies and deceptions. But what are they? What are they? What will you as students come in contact with on your campuses? Or young adults or college age folks or moms or dads or white collar business people or blue collar factory people or entertainment people or whatever your situation is in life. What are these things that you will come up against? And let's face it, friends, people out there are believing in some wacky, crazy stuff that on the outside we go, well, yeah, that's obvious. That's just a joke. You know, we even see a, uh, a more modern version of the Jim Jones story when in 1997 there was another mass suicide involving a group known as Heaven's Gate in Southern California here, down in Costa Mesa. Heaven's Gate was this American religious group led by Marshall Applewhite and um, Bonnie Nettles. The group's end coincided with the appearance of Comet hale in 1997. Applewhite convinced 38 followers to commit suicide so that their souls could take a ride on a spaceship that they believed was hiding behind the comet. Crazy. People are out there worshiping anything and everything. And isn't that what it comes down to? Ultimately, what is it people worship? What is it that is the priority in their lives? What do they live their lives by, run their lives by, base their lives on? And we see people worship crystals and we see people worship pyramids and, and, and mountains and vortexes down like in Sedona. We have one where I live now. Shasta Mountain is considered a mystical mountain. People flock to Mount Shasta because they believe it is emanating some kind of mystical energy. You go to the town of Mount Shasta, it is a bizarre mix of people because you have all these folks with their crystals and everything that are worshiping the mountain. And, and, and you got people that just grew up and lived there and just this weird combination. We have that in Weaverville. People ask me what Weaverville is like in terms of the people. I say it is an eclectic group. It really is because we have people that have grown up and lived there. Um, we have uh, um, people that have moved there or retired there. There's this kind of thriving arts community. So you kind of have um, the the bizarre. Uh, I, I met this one guy in an art studio. It looked like this old cowboy hippie. And I told him that I was the pastor at the church in town. He said, oh, man. He said, Weaverville is so spiritual. And he didn't mean biblically speaking, you know. And you just kind of nod your head and hope that God gives you an opportunity for the gospel. People worship the stars and astrology. You know, Nancy Reagan used to do Ronnie's schedule, apparently, based on astrology. People worship the earth by way of Wicca. We have our fortune tellers and our psychics and our fortune cookies. And uh, if you're ever out with your family and your kids, break open your fortune cookie. Instead of reading the fortune, just read Bible verses to them. Tea leaves, tarot cards, Ouija boards. Their beliefs of, of atheism, that God doesn't even exist, uh, and equally as damning agnostics, which are not sure. There are people that just make up their own religion because they don't know. They've never heard the gospel. They don't know any different. 
you know, I hear it all the time, and it's been really interesting when I when I got up there. Our church, like I said, is right on Highway 299. Most of the other churches are off in the hills there somewhere, and and um, and so there's this thriving transit ministry that nobody from the church uh, told me about before I got there. As our secretary said, she said, "Yeah, we're no dummies," you know. And so what happens is people are coming, you know, on their way hitchhiking through to go to Eureka or Reading, and and they see our church, and so they come to our church and and ask for help or ask for money or for gas or for food or whatever or hotel and 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 we will often you know kind of interview people and give them things based on a on a need but man i thought this is this is tremendous so i have been able to share the gospel more times to just folks showing up at our door and we made the you know i made the pact with the, the lord that we will i will not let anybody walk away from our church who has come to ask us for help that will not be able to hear the message of christ and in the process of doing so you hear their story and you hear their testimony and it is bizarre I mean, people just, they make up their own stuff. Maybe they grew up with a certain kind of religion for a certain while, and they've kind of taken bits and pieces of that, and then just from other people that they've known or their own experiences, and they just kind of meld and put things together. And you have to kind of tell them, no, that's that's not it. There's religions that are devoid of Christ completely, things like Buddhism and Hinduism and Islam and Scientology and New Age. Those are big ones down here, of course. You know, pluralism is huge where all gods are equal and legitimate. Whatever god you worship, that's fine and that'll get you to heaven and great. Then, of course, we have religions in our day that have a wrong view of Christ, right? And in many ways, I know I'm speaking to the choir here. Um, we have Jehovah's Witnesses, and these are things that we have up in, uh, in Weaverville, too, um, where they deny the Trinity and the deity of Christ and the deity of the Holy Spirit and the virgin birth and resurrection and second coming. And where does it end? They deny everything. We have Mormonism, where Jesus and Satan are, are bros, and, uh, you know, there's no virgin birth, and Jesus was married, and the prophet has the ultimate authority, and... and uh, um, um, Mormons are their own saviors, not Christ. And we already mentioned Catholicism, papal authority. The Pope can basically override uh, anything. The perpetual sacrifice of Christ, the Christ, the fact that Christ is constantly being sacrificed week after week after week. And again, the fact that you're here at Calvary Bible, uh, I hope that these are the kinds of things that most of us could say, you know, that we have no part of. And they're almost absurd to us in many ways. So what might be some of the philosophies, the empty deceptions that maybe hit us a little closer to home? You know, it's interesting. I was telling somebody, uh, because in Weaverville, again, it's a population of 3,500, yet we have 12 and a brand new church, 13 churches. And up there... Um, it's a small town and everybody knows everybody and everybody knows each other's business, etc. And we have people that kind of church hop, you know, that go from the Nazarene church to our church, to the Baptist church, to the to the charismatic church. And and they just kind of jump around. Um, it's kind of funny. One of our well, not kind of funny, but one of our deacons uh, um, to his chagrin, his mom is actually a pastor at the Nazarene church. How about that for dinnertime discussion, you know? Um, and, and, and all these things, people's lives crisscross so much there. And you want to tell people the truth um, about damning doctrines and churches that are teaching false doctrines. And you know that people in your congregation are best friends with a lot of these people. And so you're trying not to discourage them from fellowshipping with true brothers and sisters in Christ and anyone else they basically need to be evangelizing. But it's just this, this, this interesting line that you walk. Whereas here we're kind of separated a little bit from, from some of that closeness. So what are some of these things that hit closer to home? Well, just kind of continuing with the theme of the church, you know, and I know it's been, been taught and preached from this pulpit as well. Liberal, evangelical churches, churches that we would think are like us, that are even seemingly like-minded. But yet there are these churches out there that don't adhere to a complete and full picture of Christ. They deny the deity of Christ, or they deny his miracles, or his sufficiency, or they deny things like evolution. Because, see, once they can deny evolution and they can say, well, yeah, it's, we, we, we believe in evolution, or excuse me, believe in evolution, not deny evolution. They, they believe in evolution. Um, and they can take God out of Genesis 1-1. Well, he didn't really, you know, create everything the way that Genesis 1-1 says. Well, we believe that he created the Big Bang, you know, and it went on from there. But the minute they do that and they take out uh, Genesis 1-1, then it just, the whole thing then can unravel. Then they can make anything in Scripture say anything they want it to say. 
And we have things like uh, the emergent church movement and postmodernism, which I know we've talked a little about at Calvary before, which is where churches get to define their own version of supposed biblical truth. They go to the scriptures and maybe um, sit around and discuss the scriptures and everybody gets to say what the passage means to them. And whatever it means to them, that's okay. That must be what it means. We have things like seeker-friendly churches where they give people what they want instead of the truth. Um, we have that in Weaverville, a, a new church just kind of open that that is a uh, more of a seeker-friendly one. We have churches that preach prosperity and health and wealth, and that's what the gospel is about, what we can get out of it. There's no hell. There's no sin. It's just lots of blessings and lots of good things. And, of course, we have churches that just flat-out teach bad doctrine. Wrong views of salvation. Again, I told you of two that I have kind of, you know, battle with up there. The Nazarene church, which believes that you can lose your salvation. Um, and we have this other one called uh, Mountain Chapel, which is one where um, uh, it's a very charismatic church founded by a guy who then moved to Reading and started another church uh, called Bethel. And Bethel does some, they do some wild things. They have a, a school of healings. They have a miracle school. Recently, they started a resurrection team. And uh, I kind of came in contact with this, not first firsthand, but um, a good friend of mine is a pastor up where my parents live in Bernie. And he told a story of being called to a hospice where a gal's significant other had died and he had been propped up in bed by her for two days awaiting Bethel's resurrection team. And my friend showed up and and um, and talked with her and eventually got her to sign the body over to the coroner, shared the gospel with her. And uh, the coroner takes the body away and Bethel calls and says that they're coming up to do a resurrection. And, of course, now she kind of freaks out and what's going to happen now? He's in the morgue and this and that. And my friend said, at that point, I left. And um, the only thing I can say is two days later, his obituary was in the paper. But he said, the thing is, is it it unbelievers don't see that as being anything different from any other church. So you feel the backlash of that, of these false things. What about our culture? Our culture. How is that affected by philosophies and empty deceptions? Just ask ourselves, what is our culture's view of God right now? In an overarching sense, I think we would all agree that our society, our culture is primarily contrary to God and his word. It generally purports a world, worldly worldview versus a biblical worldview. And, and this rears its ugly head in many ways through philosophy. And the, our modern day philosophy would say that man determines the meaning of God apart from God. Or excuse me, the meaning of life apart from God. Or there's things like humanism, which we see in Romans 1, 18 to 25, where the creature is worshipped, not the creator. Man is at the center. Man is even God. Um, we are all gods. That's selfism. Me, myself, and I. Nobody's the authority over me. Um, I get to call the shots. I am my own boss. And, and this could translate to somebody's worship of money or, or of power, fame, fortune. It also allows for things like abortion and people believing the lie that it is a personal choice and that it is okay because they are the ones in control. I don't answer to anybody. There's naturalism, which we've already talked about, which is is evolution, something that's taught in our schools. We have to be careful of our schools as well. We're here. They're denying God as creator. We have, uh, this is a new word for me, scientism. Scientism would say that man is attempting to regain dominion over creation apart from God. And we see that in the realm of things like cloning or stem cell research. We're trying to say, yeah, well, we lost control, but man, we're going to try to get it back through our science. Or psychology, where man can understand all the motivations of the human head or heart and purposes outside of God, apart from God. He must, because there is no true God, says psychology. Or we have self-help gurus of the day, our Dr. Phil's and our Dr. Laura's, and uh, TV, radio programs that they host, and their books, and their conferences, and their tapes, and their CDs. I've heard, you know, guys on the Christian radio, biblical counselors, and we have a group up in Reading, too, where you, you listen to them, and you're just waiting for them to use Scripture to help people, and they never go to Scripture. They never do. We have things like technology nowadays. Here's another new word, technicism. 
where we have more and more tools and capabilities and things to help man glorify himself. We might say the omnipotence of man, the power of man, through our technological age and all the things that we are doing and advancing in, how does that affect us in our pride and man being puffed up? Look at what we are doing. We are so technologically minded and we create computers and we create this and we create that and, and just almost deifying ourselves. We have things like the media and the, the desensitization that comes from the media where we are so used to being bombarded by things through the television and through the, the movies and DVDs and radios and Internet and magazines and music and art and even our schools. We're so bombarded constantly that at some point we start being desensitized to it and it doesn't mean what it used to mean. We're not as amazed and astounded at what is out there like we used to be. And of course, this really hits home where immorality is concerned, including promiscuity and homosexuality. We have politics, which we're in the midst of right now. Boy, we are in the thick of it for the last year and a half and another half a year to go, where politicians are trying to sell us their bag of goods and our incredible spin doctors of the way they do it and trying to get us to believe whatever it is that they are spinning. We also have fraternal organizations that have a religious underpinning that present the Lord Jesus Christ in a way that is not biblically sound or that deny his supremacy in some way. I've had this kind of firsthand recently. My grandfather passed away and um, he was a Mason. And, and even prior to that, I had done some research on Masonry um, and uh, um, saw just kind of what it was all about. And it was bizarre. And so I was asked to do his funeral by my dad and my aunt. But my aunt, um, who is also involved with her husband in the Masonic Lodge, said, well, I really like, you know, to have a Masonic uh, service first and then have you come up and do whatever. And I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> And so, um, so I went, and it was funny, before I went to this thing, the, Mas- the Masons do about 20 minutes, and, and the guy called me on the phone and said, well, just so you know, and he had obviously had this conversation with other pastors before, he said, just so you know, you won't find anything offensive in, in what we will speak or, or do in our part of the, uh, the service. In fact, you'll even hear some references to the Bible. And, um, yeah, there's a few little references out of context and little bits and pieces and phrases, but they basically get up there and, and our brother Roger, we now commit to the, the great celestial being in the sky, the great architect and the all seeing eye. There was never once a mention of Jesus or of Christ. And one of the guys who got up actually had the audacity to tell people that he was a pastor. We also have organizations, other ones that maybe you are familiar with that, that again deny the lordship of Christ or, or, or the biblical Christ. Or what about just people? Just friends, family, people you come in contact with on a daily basis, be it your work or school or wherever it is at the grocery store or whatever, that all have their thoughts and ideas and philosophies and ideologies that might be contrary to the word of God. How are those things kind of coming in and maybe influencing you? Oh, families are tough too. People that we love. Well, here's one last problem for us as believers nowadays. Another new word for me. It's called syncretism. Syncretism. And it's when you take these different philosophies and ideologies and, and deceptions and religions and whatever it is, and you start mixing them all together. I kind of talked about that with the people that come to church sometime to talk to me, where they're taking bits and pieces of things. Well, the problem is, is even in the realm of Christian circles of believers, we sometimes will do that. Well, we say our base is Christianity, but then we kind of let these other things kind of creep in. And, well, that's not so bad. Or, or like I said, we've been, uh, we've been exposed to it for so long that it doesn't seem bad anymore. Um, and we start mixing and melding these things. You know, again, a, a good example is, is the way sometimes we view evolution. Um, that, well, again, I, I'm a solid believer, but well, I, I do believe in it, but I still believe that God, you know, had, was the one at the very beginning. But, and we do these things in other, in other aspects, in other ways with our Christianity and these different things that I've mentioned. 
It's kind of like Play-Doh. You know, when you were a kid and you would have your Play-Doh and uh, you had your different colors and, and you would maybe be making something with one color and you pull out another color and, and make it and then you wanted to kind of do things with both colors and so you start doing things with both colors and, and then, oh, you realize now it's time to put it away and, oh, I, I don't want the colors to be mixed anymore and so you, you start trying to separate the colors and to no avail because now they're stuck together and it's, a, it's tough to do and finally, uh, or if you're a parent, you just take and you just mush it all together. Forget it. I'm not even going to worry about it. And it's just this gray blob. And that's what's happening when we have this thing called syncretism happen, where things are kind of getting in sync with other things. We end up with this gray blob that's anything but Christ of the Bible. So, in closing, what's, what's, what's the issue here? What's, what's the big idea, you ask? Well, the big idea, the big deal is this. Two things. One, Worldly man-centered philosophies and worldly man-centered lies send people to hell. They send people to hell. They keep people from repenting of their sins and placing their faith in Jesus Christ to be their Savior and Lord. And two, they misguide and misdirect believers into sin and into false ideas and philosophies now what what might this mean for you if if you don't even know jesus you're thinking i i've heard of this jesus yeah and i you know i'm here at church for the first time or whatever it means this it means that that we are all sinners who need a savior we all sin against god we all disobey god and god knows that but God desires fellowship with us. He loves you. He created you. So he sent his son, Jesus, to be the sin bearer, the one that would take your place. Because as sinners, we deserve death. But God said, no, my son's going to take your place. He will die for you. He will die on the cross. He will be buried. He will be resurrected three days later. And he will conquer sin. And he will conquer death. And you will have everlasting life for that. If you repent of your sins and believe in him. And if that's you this morning, I encourage you, repent and believe this morning, today, before these false philosophies, ideologies, garbage, gobbledygook, empty deceptions get their hooks in you. Repent and believe and be assured that you will be with Christ in all his glory forever and ever and ever. And what does this maybe mean for you as a believer? A couple of things. You should heed Paul's warning. You should beware that you should have no part in worldly man-centered philosophies and empty deceptions. You should reject them at all costs. You should steer clear from them. Do not entertain them. Instead of, uh, of those things, stay glued to the truth of Christ and His Word. Christ alone. Now, in order to do this, you might have to ask yourself a few questions. You might have to examine your heart. You might have to look deep into your soul or, or into your life, into your belief system and say, what, what, what is right here and what is not right here? What is truth and what is not truth? And you know, what, what do we do when we come across these things? And maybe we're not sure of something. Well, you see something in your life and you're like, I don't know really if that's good or not. Well, what did Paul, what did the Bereans do on, 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 to, to what Paul was teaching them in Acts 17.11? They examined the scriptures to see if whatever it is you are being confronted with is true or false. And that's what we need to do. It's as easy as that. Something's going on in your life or you see something in, 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 in your life or on the outskirts of your life or something that's going on with your family or you're dealing with or whatever. Just take it to Scripture and see if Scripture affirms it or denies it. If you're still not sure, then you come to one of your pastors. You come to one of your elders. You go to somebody that's uh, spiritually minded and with wisdom and able to discern and, 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 and get some help and find out these things. Paul even said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, talking about spiritual warfare, he says, We are destroying speculations and every lofty thing raised up against the knowledge of God, and we are taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1.18, For the word of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the cleverness of the clever I will set aside. Where is the wise man? Where is the scribe? Where is the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? 
For since in wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not come to know God. God was well pleased through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. And lastly, this should drive us. This should propel you to evangelism, to share the truth, the gospel message with those that are ensnared by these philosophies and these deceptions. So instead of worldly, empty deceptions and lies and philosophies, which should be rejected, you simply need to believe in and rely on the great truth of Christ. Like we see in Acts 4.12, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. I thank you so much for just this this great opportunity to open up your word, God, and just to be reminded that your word is truth. And Lord, when those things are knocking on our door, those empty deceptions and philosophies and vain things, Lord, are are banging at the window and, and want into our life, God, that we can just turn to your scripture and just be assured of what is true and what is right and what is perfect and what is beautiful, God. Lord, I pray for any that do not know your son Jesus as their Lord and Savior, that they will bow their heart, that they will bow their knee to him today and say, yes, Lord, please forgive me of my sins and I want to follow you. And God, for those of us that know Christ, I pray that you just give us strength and encouragement to do some serious battle with these things, whether they be in our lives right now or whether they be knocking at the door or just things that we need to keep tabs on. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen.